So hello and welcome to episode one of the Hydrogen Nowcast, recorded on May 21st, 2020. This is a podcast devoted to encouraging the deployment of fuel cell EVs, hydrogen fueling, and hydrogen infrastructure throughout the world. The Hydrogen Nowcast is a production of the Colorado Hydrogen Network in Denver, Colorado. In each podcast, we'll interview the people, organizations, companies, and municipalities that are working to produce or deploy hydrogen infrastructure. We'll discuss their plans and strengths, successes, and lessons learned. Our intent is to encourage and motivate others to take charge to help deploy hydrogen as a means to decarbonize the transportation and energy sectors and accelerate the movement to stop climate change. My name is Brian DeBruin, and I'm the Director of Operations for the Colorado Hydrogen Network in Denver, and I'm joined by Charlotte Hamilton, our Communications Director. Hi, everybody. Yeah, so Charlotte, why don't we start uh, with you telling the listeners about yourself and why you wanted to be involved with the Colorado Hydrogen Network? Um, Well, I met you pretty recently through Climate Reality, which is Al Gore's organization. And um, I remember when you said in a meeting you were looking for a communications director for Colorado Hydrogen Network. And I thought, well, why did I just buy a hybrid if hydrogen cars are a thing? Which, of course, then I found out they're, they're not a thing here yet. But I was interested in learning more. And so ultimately, I contacted you because I thought, you know, even though I didn't know a lot about hydrogen, I have some other skills that might be useful. Um, My day job actually has nothing to do with science. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I supervise an outpatient mental health program. So knowing about psychology is always a good thing. My undergrad degree is in English from Wellesley College. I've done a lot of creative writing, theater, storytelling. Most of it was in Chicago where I lived until about a year ago. So to sum up, I'm not from Colorado, and I don't know much about hydrogen vehicles, so I obviously have a steep learning curve ahead of me, but I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we think you're going to make a perfect communications director, so we appreciate your your volunteer work. Thank you. Um, So, Brian, tell us about your background and how the Colorado Hydrogen Network got started. Well, my background is in electrical engineering, and as a matter of fact, I got my degree from the University of Colorado. And I retired a couple of years ago after working 36 years with Honeywell Aerospace, where I designed pretty complicated avionics systems for fighter aircraft, but I also did a lot of new business development. And so over for over a decade, I've been really frustrated by the lack of progress in deploying fuel cell EVs. So after I retired, I decided I'd use my skills and experience to try to get fuel cell EVs and hydrogen fueling going. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, coincidentally about this time, Franz Westenbrink and Dr. Brian Wilson at CSU were doing the same thing. So, we decided to join forces and start a nonprofit hydrogen advocacy organization. And our mission is really to network together all of the hydrogen stakeholders to try to give them a focus and a voice to promote hydrogen technology really as a key element to stop climate change and improve Colorado's air quality. Well, since this is the very first Hydrogen Nowcast, we thought it would be appropriate to start by talking about why we should all care about hydrogen. What's it good for? Well, you know, it's crystal clear, I think, to just about everybody now that the world needs to stop burning fossil fuels in order to stop climate change. And we can do that by converting to renewable energy. You know, that's wind and solar. But wind and solar generate electricity, which really needs to be used the instant you create it. But for many uses, like transportation, we need a form that's uh, both portable and storable. Now, hydrogen's important 
because renewable electricity can easily be changed into hydrogen and back into electricity. And hydrogen, of course, is both portable and storable. Now, batteries can store electricity, but batteries store energy as electrons, while hydrogen stores energy chemically. And, okay, that's technical talk, but what that means is that uh, the chemical storage is more stable, meaning you can store it a lot longer, and it's much more energy dense. And so you might not care about those things for stationary applications like a power plant, but for transportation, those are issues. So both battery and fuel cell vehicles are electric vehicles or EVs, right? That's right. Uh, both EV types are powered by electric motors. And the difference is that in a fuel cell EV, the electric motor is powered by a fuel cell, which converts hydrogen and air to electricity and water vapor. So instead of charging a fuel cell EV, you just fill the tank with hydrogen. How long does that take? Well, filling a tank on a fuel cell EV takes about the same amount of time as filling a tank on a gasoline or a diesel vehicle, you know, three to four minutes. And, you know, compare that to a battery EV, which would take at least 30 minutes, even on the fastest chargers. And another thing is the range of fuel cell EVs in a tank of hydrogen is essentially the same or even more than a petroleum vehicle. And of course, by refueling, uh, your range is unlimited. What are the other differences between battery EVs and fuel cell EVs? Well, before I speak to that, uh, let me be clear that we all want to support battery EVs. You know, they're very efficient with their energy, uh, they're clean, and, you know, they're really great for commuting and, and running errands. And fuel cell EVs complement battery EVs in the areas where battery EVs aren't quite as practical, like for really long trips or if you need to do fast refueling, um, cold weather, uh, which we'll talk about in a, bit, in a minute, and for the bigger vehicles and for towing. And what's meant by efficiency? Well, the easiest way to think of efficiency is cost per mile. And this is where battery EVs really shine. You know, their cost per mile is the lowest, uh, probably a third that of a gasoline or a fuel cell EV. However, um, the combined forces of cold weather and using the heater raises battery EV cost per mile to about three quarters that of gasoline or fuel cell EVs. You know, the heater really takes a lot of energy, but that's heat you get for free with a gasoline or a fuel cell EV. What's it like to operate a fuel cell EV? Boy, it's just like operating um, a petroleum vehicle, but of course it doesn't emit any carbon dioxide or any other greenhouse gases. You know, in fact, the exhaust from a fuel cell EV is just water vapor that's so pure you could drink it. Uh, and you fuel a hydrogen EV just like a gas or diesel, three or four minutes, and the range per tank is about the same or better, as I said, and uh, hot and cold weather really don't have much effect on range. Um, you can tow, tow trailers with a fuel cell EV with just a little bit of an impact on the range, just like you would with a petroleum vehicle. Now, fuel cells uh, will last the lifetime of the vehicle, but batteries are only about half that. And the cost to replace the batteries is more than probably the cost to replace both the engine and transmission in a petroleum vehicle. So where do we get hydrogen and how do we power EVs with it? Well, you know, you don't, uh, you don't drill in the ground for hydrogen like you do with petroleum. Although hydrogen can be extracted from fossil fuels, but that emits carbon dioxide. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is stripping the hydrogen out of water, which of course is H2O, and splitting those molecules with renewable electricity. Is that what's considered green hydrogen? 
Yes, people have developed the convention of calling hydrogen made from water and renewable electricity green, while the hydrogen from coal or natural gas is called brown. And uh, generating green hydrogen emits no carbon, but generating from natural gas does. Now, another thing that's important to understand is the difference between an energy carrier and an energy source. Now, fossil fuels are both energy sources and energy carriers, but electricity and hydrogen are only energy carriers. And of course, the sun, uh, uh, the source is the sun or the wind. Right. So we use renewable electricity to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And what sort of device does that? Well, a lot of school kids know that you can put two spoons in a glass of water and add a little salt to make the water more conductive and then connect those spoons up to a battery and an electrical source, and hydrogen bubbles off one spoon and oxygen off the other. However, that's pretty inefficient. Today we use a device called an electrolyzer, which looks like a stack of metal plates separated by plastic membranes. Could that same device be used to turn the hydrogen and oxygen from the air back into electricity? Is that what a fuel cell is? Ah, good question. You know more about hydrogen than you think. You know, in fact, um, mechanically, a fuel cell looks very similar to an electrolyzer. Um, A fuel cell also consists of a stack of metal plates separated by plastic membranes. But, of course, there are some differences in the details. Is this technology that's something new or exotic? Well, no. In fact, NASA has been using fuel cells in spacecraft for decades. um, And commercial electrolyzers have been around since at least 1927. Now, uh, deploying both fuel cell EVs and hydrogen fueling is not a technical problem. It's a business problem. You know, how do we do both at the same time? So where are all these fuel cell EVs? We don't see them in many places. Well, the fuel cell cars and buses and trucks do exist, and we're going to be seeing more in the future. You know, in fact, Honda, Hyundai, and Toyota are all producing them as well as others. And where are the fuel cell vehicles being used Well, the leader in the United States is mostly in California, and in the other countries in descending order, this is followed by in Asia, Japan, China, and Korea, and then in Europe, Germany, and France, and then uh, Northern Europe, uh, Norway, and the UK. But what's limiting widespread vehicle deployment is the lack of hydrogen fuel stations. But water and electricity are everywhere, so what's the holdup? Well, since hydrogen is a gas, It requires different fuel station equipment, and this creates a bit of a stalemate. You know, how can anybody buy a fuel cell EV without the hydrogen fuel stations? And why would investors build fuel stations without vehicles to buy the fuel? So what's the answer then? Well, obviously the vehicles and the fuel stations need to be deployed simultaneously. But this is outside the business model for both automakers and fuel companies. So it's probably going to require a sponsor in most places. Now, in California, the state is sponsoring uh, full-scale fuel stations. However, a lot of other states can't really afford to do that, so we're, we seem to be stuck in kind of a waiting game. So this is what we're trying to address with the Colorado Hydrogen Network, right? Well, that's right. The strategy of the Colorado Hydrogen Network is to deploy some low-cost, modular fuel stations along with fuel cell EVs to get the process started. All right, wait a minute. What do you mean by modular fuel stations? Well, hydrogen can really be made anywhere using an electrolyzer. And the entire fuel station, including the electrolyzer and compressors and tanks, 
And, you know, the fuel pump or the fuel dispenser is compact enough to fit in something like a cargo container. So you could build that off-site and then just deliver that container and connect it to electricity and water. Why modular then? Why not just build permanent fuel stations, you know, like the coffee and your, where you can get your junk food? <laughs> yeah, well, that'll probably come. But, but you know, permanent fuel stations are more expensive. Um, and the initial demand for hydrogen is going to be pretty low until the number of fuel cell EVs ramp up. So the modular stations are a low-cost alternative. And then once demand increases, the modular fuel station would be replaced with a high-volume permanent fuel station. Now, another advantage to the fueling modules is that they could then be, be moved to the next area of increasing fuel cell EV ownership when permanent stations take their place, so they could be reused. So how many cars can these modular stations supply? Well, probably 80 to 100 cars a day is probably a practical limit. Um, of course, you could add more modules if you have the real estate to service more cars. But, you know, really the intention is that these modules would be an early interim step. And once the number of fuel cell EVs that they're servicing grows, then the module will be replaced with a permanent fuel station and the module would be moved to the next area of growing demand. How much electricity does it take to fuel one car? Well, around 300 kilowatt hours. And for comparison, that's about what the average house uses in about 10 days. That's a lot of energy. Well, that's right. I mean, there's a huge amount of energy in your gas tank. And that's why it's so difficult to come up with batteries for cars that give you a long range. And also why it takes so long to charge a battery EV. And, you know, by the way, the charge time for battery EV has little to do with the battery. It's really a question of how much voltage and current you can safely apply to the car. I mean, you could have a perfect battery and you could still never charge it as fast as you can fuel a petroleum or a hydrogen vehicle. Is that a lot of new electrical demand on the grid? Well, that's a, a good point, and it is. But, you know, to save the environment, all transportation has just got to convert from petroleum to renewable electricity. So the grid is going to have to grow regardless. Now, battery EVs are more efficient, but, you know, battery EVs probably won't satisfy all users. And since we've got to entice all drivers to convert to electric vehicles, we're going to need both battery and fuel cell EVs. Now, the experience of operating a fuel cell EV and how it functions is almost identical to a petroleum vehicle. So I think it'll be easier for the average person to change. You know, for example, you know, people who live in apartments, they may not have a garage or a charging outlet, so they might prefer a fuel cell EV. And other people may like to take long trips and vacations. Now, you know, although most of the trips that we all take in our cars are short, people may occasionally want to use their car for a long trip, you know, around the state or, or even out of state. And so they may be reluctant to buy a battery EV just in case they want to take longer trips. In fact, I've talked to battery EV car salesmen who say that they get this remark from buyers all the time when they're asked if they really do take long trips. And they say, well, you know, I might want to. Yeah, one thing I know about Colorado is that people here love to ski. So it sounds like fuel cell EVs would be better for them. Yeah, I'm a skier myself, and that's a good point. You know, for example, if somebody in, say, Littleton wants to ski at Beaver Creek, that's about 200 miles round trip. But in cold weather, even the bat best battery EVs probably have less than a 200-mile range. So that's a problem. And, you know, ski area parking lots are unlikely to ever have charging outlets at every parking stall. 
because they need to plow the lot so frequently. So I know when I ski, if I don't keep my cell phone inside in a warm pocket, it quits entirely if it gets cold. And, you know, both phones and battery EVs use that same lithium-ion technology. You know, and another thing to keep in mind is that uh, the current lithium-ion batteries cannot be charged if the battery is below 32 degrees or zero degrees centigrade. So in freezing weather, uh, you need to keep a battery EV in the garage. And if it is outdoors, you need to keep it plugged in in order to keep the heater running. And of course, you're using energy to keep the running that heater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I understand that too. You want to have the, the freedom to do all that, to be able to travel. Yeah, and I know, you know, myself, I drive back and forth between Denver and Albuquerque a lot, uh, probably 10 times a year, which is 450 miles or 725 kilometers. And according to Tesla's app for their cars, it recommends that I stop twice to charge, uh, once in Trinidad, Colorado, and once in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and charge for about 30 minutes each time. But, you know, that 60 minutes of waiting to charge would be just one stop of three or four minutes with gasoline or fuel cell EVs. Now, you might think that a 300-mile range car like the Tesla could make a 450-mile trip with just one stop, but it's bad for the batteries to run them all the way down to zero, so they recommend you charge before you reach zero. And, of course, if you're running the vehicle heater or air conditioner, your maximum range may only be 200 miles anyway. I didn't realize you shouldn't run the battery down to zero. Yeah, that's right. Now, let's talk for a minute about the effects of both types of EVs on the electrical grid. Now, although it takes more renewable electricity to uh, charge or to make power for a fuel cell EV than battery EVs, in many cases, the generation of hydrogen could actually help balance the supply and demand of the grid where battery EVs may not. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When a battery EV driver is on the road and they need to charge their car, you know, they need to charge now. They can't wait to a time that's good for the grid. And furthermore, they'll probably want to use a fast charger, which places pretty heavy demands on the grid. And it may come at a time of day when the demand is already at its highest. So this is problematic for the utility to try and balance the grid supply and demand. But by contrast, when you fill up a fuel cell EV, That hydrogen could have been made from electricity at any time. I mean, last night or last month. So that could could be generated during the hours when the demand on the grid is really low. And more importantly, when the demand on the grid is high, the utility could actually turn off hydrogen generation by using smart grid technology. So in this way, generating hydrogen could actually help balance the demands on the grid. So what you're saying is that battery EVs have to charge at the user's convenience and hydrogen can be generated at the utility's convenience. Well, that's right. You know, and think about it this way. The utility has to match the electricity that they generate to the demand on the grid from instant to instant. And today, the utilities do this by turning their generator outputs up and down. But that's kind of problematic for wind and solar because their output is really a function of, of course, the wind or the sun. Um, And the way this is handled today, that the utilities simply turn off or curtail wind and solar output. But, you know, that's kind of wasteful. Now, it's been proposed that the utilities install huge banks of batteries. But, you know, these are expensive and they wear out pretty quick, too. But, you know, if the utility could regulate the load instead of the source, um, you know, that would really help. And the utilities could do that by turning on and off hydrogen generation at the fuel stations, like I said earlier, by using smart grid technology. 
So hydrogen generation could actually solve two problems. You know, it gives us a high energy portable fuel for transportation, and it gives the utility a way to help balance the grid in the future. Uh, you know, another use for hydrogen is that utilities could also use any excess energy to generate hydrogen at the power plants. And this hydrogen could actually be replace uh, natural gas or coal for the power plants during low periods of wind and solar. What about the price of hydrogen compared to petroleum? You know, people aren't going to be willing to switch from petroleum vehicles to fuel cell EVs if it costs them more. Well, that's a really good point, and it all depends on the price of electricity. Now, in Colorado, at least, we're starting to see lower rates for electric vehicles, and these rates would enable generating hydrogen at a price that's competitive with petroleum and still have a little margin left to pay for the station and operating expenses. So around the world, hydrogen fueling entities, whoever they are, are going to need to work with the power generating companies to get favorable electric rates for hydrogen generation. And the justification for that is by the utility regulating when hydrogen is generated, this gives the utility a means to balance the grid by regulating the load instead of regulating the source like they do today. And then of course the low rates would help the hydrogen fueling stations be affordable. So the trade-off is that the electrical utilities would be adding more generation, wind turbines and solar panels, instead of energy storage, and hydrogen fuel stations would be having to install larger electrolyzers because they wouldn't run all the time for lower electric rates. You know, when I talk to friends about fuel cell EVs and hydrogen fueling, one of the most common things they ask about is safety. I think most people don't deal with hydrogen in their daily lives, so it's something that few people are familiar with. How safe is hydrogen? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, of course, any medium that we use to store energy has the potential to release that energy in a constructive manner or an uncontrolled function. And, you know, this includes things we think of as, as obviously dangerous, like gasoline or alcohol and, of course, hydrogen. But it also includes things like candles, batteries, and even bacon fat. You know, by the way, a paper towel that's got your bacon grease on it makes a really good fire starter for your barbecue or your fireplace. You know, I know of um, in the 70s, a neighbor of mine was storing a bunch of candle wax in their garage and something else caught fire and it started melting the wax, which then caught fire and the fire department really struggled to put out the fire. But um, I should I should speak to batteries you know, if you short out the terminals of most batteries, they can explode or catch fire. And other batteries like lithium ion can catch fire if they're punctured or can even spontaneously develop internal short circuits. And that battery will catch fire and cause all the other batteries in the car to catch fire as well. Ah, oh, so battery car can catch fire, huh? Well, you bet they can. And, and when they do, there's really little chance of putting it out in time to save the car. You compare the safety of hydrogen to gasoline or diesel? Well, yeah, you know, compared to gasoline or diesel, hydrogen could actually be considered safer. And for example, if a gasoline or a diesel tank gets punctured, say in an accident, the fuel's gonna leak and pool underneath the vehicle where it'll burn until it's used up if it catches fire. By contrast, if a hydrogen tank is punctured or ruptured, hydrogen is so much lighter than air that it just rapidly dissipates. And another difference between petroleum fuels and hydrogen is that as each burns, the radiant heat given off is much higher for petroleum than it is for hydrogen. So what that means is that secondary fires like the car or the surroundings are much less likely with hydrogen. But hydrogen is under pressure, whereas 
gasoline and diesel are not. So is a hydrogen tank more prone to explode? Actually not. The hydrogen tanks are wrapped with a really thick layer of carbon fiber filaments and resin. And I've seen tanks that have been made to fail intentionally. And although they had a tear in the side, you know, the tank basically stayed intact. And again, because of the buoyancy of hydrogen, you know, it is the lightest element. Uh, it dissipates really fast and it's gone in an instant. It, it doesn't stick around in some kind of a cloud because it expands so rapidly and it's so light. You know, another good thing about hydrogen is that if you happen to breathe some of it, it's non-toxic. All right. Well, this has been a really interesting discussion. Can you tell people where they can learn more about the Colorado Hydrogen Network and the work we're doing to promote the deployment of hydrogen fuel cell EVs and hydrogen fueling? Yeah, the best place would be if they go to our website, which is colorado-hydrogen.org. I'll say that again. That's colorado-hydrogen.org. And the website also has some basic hydrogen information, um, links to other fuel cell and hydrogen organizations around the world. And they can also sign up to be on our mailing list to receive the newsletter or even to be invited to our monthly meetings. Great. In the next podcast, why don't we talk in depth about the Colorado Hydrogen Network, how the organization got started, our initiatives, and how listeners can get involved if they're interested in helping further the energy transition and fuel cell EVs. Yeah, that sounds great. Great. If you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please leave us a rating on the podcast app of your choice. This helps us get discovered by other people. Until next time, this is Charlotte Hamilton. And Brian DeBruin. Wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.